Brock McKay is going to come and share with us. I'm excited about Brock sharing. It's kind of in tune with what we just talked and prayed about. Brock's been a little shocked by the culture that's been happening. He's going to speak into that, but let me remind you what he's doing. This is phase four of us talking about the first and the great commandment, which is, help me to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. First and greatest commandment. First place. And the second is like unto it. Tell, say it to me. Leviticus 18, 18, 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, all of the law and prophets hang. All 613 commands hang on this thing. Love is the primary focus and culture of the kingdom of God. May God help us, and may God anoint our brothers he shares. The follow-up to that, um, that portion that Sam just quoted, which is out of Luke 10, um, um, and this is after the, uh, the I think it was a, a lawyer, asks Jesus about that, and Jesus says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan, the wounded Samaritan, the man in the ditch. And what's interesting is Jesus was fully aware because the Pharisees, they did not leave him alone. They, they just went after him all the time. So Jesus tells them the story of the Samaritan in the ditch. And the two people he uses that pass him by are the priest and the Levites. The reason that's so important is of anybody walking the ground in Israel who should have known about the love of God, it should have been the priests and the Levites. And the exhortation for us as followers of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if there's anybody on the face of the earth who should know what the definition and the expression and the receipt of the love and affection of the Lord Jesus. It's you and me. It's you and me, brothers and sisters. We are the repository. We are the receivers of the love and affection of the Lord Jesus to the extent that he would take the third member of the Trinity and place him inside of us to operate within us. We are indwelt by the one through whom the world was spoken into existence. He indwells you, and he indwells me. The part of that reason, that rationale, is that we get to declare without embarrassment or without reticence, without holding back, the love of God, the love of God that's revealed to us in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what we have in front of us. It's interesting that Jesus talks about the Samaritan because in the chapter before that, they're coming through and heading towards Jerusalem, and the Samaritans won't receive Jesus and the disciples. And so what he's doing, once again, is amp amping up the intensity and in the instruction for the disciples, as he says. He picks a Samaritan. They've just been dissed by them, but Jesus' heart is about the love. It's about the love and affection. There's this remarkable passage... <laughs> Because some of, some of what I want to connect dots with here is the prophetic. How many of you have had a prophetic word given to you that has been fulfilled? 
keep your hands up, please. Nice and tall, nice and tall. How many of you, when, you, when the fulfillment of that prophetic word came, it looked like what you were expecting? Okay, okay. Now, the reason that's really important is, is classically de described in the book of Acts. Okay, so in, in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and to these he presented himself alive after, after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God. He talked about salvation just about once. What he emphasized and talked about and went after again and again was the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, how important it was. That's why they were to repent, was to let go of these, that the things that would prevent them from being able to walk into the kingdom of God. So he's explaining these things to them. He says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, because he knew what was going to happen. They didn't, but he knew. But to wait for him, what the, to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, heard it from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this the time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And this is a classic set of circumstances where they are looking at the highest conceivable definition from their history as good Hebrews of what the kingdom of heaven looked like. And that definition was David. David, the man after God's own heart, the one who wrote the Psalms, or so many of the Psalms, the one who represented, he was the highest expression that they had seen of what the prophetic looked like, of what, excuse me, of what, um, of what the kingdom looked like. So this is their expectation, and this is how they're thinking. And what they think is that, they, that Jesus is going to restore the kingdom the way David took leadership and took kingship, and he kicked butt and took names, and he did all those particular kinds of things, and he whooped up on everybody, and basically he cleaned house, and he took over. And they were so, so ready for this to happen, because what was taking place, obviously, where they were suppressed underneath the Roman Empire. So their definition for the prophetic statement that the kingdom of heaven was to come was defined by what their history and what their background and what their experience was. And they could not conceive of what was in front. And I would suggest that part of the exhortation for us when we're talking about the prophetic is exactly that. And the one person who seems to represent the wisdom is a four, arguably a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl who just says, may it be done to me according to your will. Okay, that I think is the wisest, the smartest, the best response to a prophetic word when it's given, Lord, you just come and do what you say you're going to do. Because chances are we're going to misinterpret what we see. We're going to misinterpret. We're going to fill in the blanks based on the same thing that the disciples did, what our history is, what our background is. We'll fill it in on the basis of the stuff that we know, and it doesn't necessarily occur to us that there's a whole bunch of stuff that the Lord Jesus wants to do that we simply do not yet know about. And so that's part of why this whole process with the prophetic gets to be such a big, big deal. In Matthew 24, this frightening passage, when the disciples say, so Lord, when, when, when does this come into play? When, when do all these things, when does the end come? And in it, Jesus lays out a couple of particular things. Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. That's the first warning before he heads in to this 
this passage talking about the, the characteristics and the trauma and the drama of the end times. So what it means is there's a possibility that we, even though we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and followers of the King of Kings, there is a real possibility that we can be deceived. And I think where that leads us back to is a place of humility. Lord Jesus, I rely on you to remind me of what the truth is, Lord, because I'm just cocky enough to go off in the wrong direction and fill in the blanks and arrive at my own conclusions. Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want my definition of your kingdom. I want your definition of your kingdom. And I think the humility which Sam referenced, particularly in relation to the prophetic, is a fundamental issue that we need to lay hold of. So not only do we, among all the people on the face of the earth, know about the love of God, we also know that we are to keep our heads low because we are to walk in the humility that the Lord Jesus walked in. We are to walk in the humility before the king, our King and our Lord. For many will come and say in my name, I am the Christ. Don't follow after them. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says the second thing. See to it that you are not frightened. So those are the two things that Jesus gives the warning to, that we can be deceived and that we can be frightened, that we're not to be frightened. And as he goes down further, they will deliver you up in tribulation and will kill you and will hate all nations, hated by all nations. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawless is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And it struck me recently that I think I've seen in my day the fulfillment of some of the love between the brothers and sisters growing cold. Because I think we've failed to be humble, and I think we've failed to be observant of deception. There is a unity in the body of Christ Jesus, and that's the significant thing about this, Acts, the, uh, this, this portion in the book of Acts. The disciples ask Jesus, are now, are you going to come back? Is it now time when the Romans get kicked out? The Holy Spirit comes 10 days later, and the disciples walk in the fulfillment of the revelation that they didn't have when they interpreted that statement earlier. They now know that the kingdom of heaven operates all the time, whether the Romans are in place or not. And the metaphor for us, the instruction for us, is it does not matter who is in the White House. The kingdom of heaven knows no boundaries and no bounds. There is, we know the love of God. We carry the kingdom within us. We have the freedom to spread the kingdom of truth and light and life of the Lord Jesus without restriction. And I think it is possible for us to be deceived. I think it is possible for us to be fearful because I think that's what's driven more of the division in the body of Christ than I have ever seen in my almost 70 years. We don't have to go there, brothers and sisters. We know the King of Kings, and we know the Lord of Lords. And we are called into the love and affection that, that bursts out of him all the time. 
And the love that he calls us to overrides. Love covers a multitude of sins, say the scriptures. Not just mine, but the sins of my brothers and my sisters and the sins of those who don't yet know who the King of kings and Lord of lords is. And so there's this really interesting passage in James chapter 2. Judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no judgment. But my brothers and sisters, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins out. The heart of the Lord Jesus wins out. We will not be deceived, and we will not be afraid, for we belong to and know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do not back away from the calling that is on us and that is on you. You carry the kingdom and the king with you everywhere you go. We have no reason to fear, and we have no reason to be puffed up because we know what we're made of, right? We know we, know we, we fall short and we make mistakes and we haven't got it all together. That doesn't matter. We walk in humility, we are not deceived, and we will not, we will not be afraid, particularly with our brothers and sisters. Come, Lord Jesus, manifest and reveal the fullness of your heart and your character and your nature in us, your sons and your daughters. For you love us so, you love us so, so much. Yes. Brockhead, just real quick. Uh, Brock had said, called me real concerned one evening, said, I think we're seeing the fulfillment of this, the love of many will grow cold. Yeah. And so we felt like it tied into this thing and the intention out that just such little things are splitting us up is shocking, honestly. And so I just wanted you to pray one more time in and around that, that we're not part of the fulfillment of that prophetic <laughs> word. Uh, Jesus prophesied, we don't have to be. Our love doesn't have to grow cold toward Jesus or one another in the middle of all this mess, right? And so, can you pray over us just one more time about that? Ah, oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know there's stuff that's up for contention, Lord. We know that there's a battle. Father, we know that there's an evil one who despises you and despises us. Mm -hmm. Despises us, Lord, because we're made in your image, but despises us because we've done something that he can't do. We have chosen to love the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to embrace his kingdom. And he cannot do that, Father. And he despises us because he despises you. And Father, we will not walk in the deception. Yes. We will not let our hearts be stirred, Father, by fear, particularly those of the brethren. So, Father, I ask that you mature us. Lord, that do the surgery you need to do this year so that our hearts remain pure before you yep. and our devotion is unwavering and our sense, Father, of incorporating the brothers and sisters, bringing them with us yes. because we know you love them with an everlasting love, an undying love. Reprove us where we need to be reproved, Lord God. Change our hearts, change our thinking, change our minds. Father, redeem your gift of the prophetic yes. in the body of Christ so that the honor, the honor goes to the Lord Jesus. 
and bring about your kingdom, Father, again. We say, may your kingdom come and your will be in us, Father. Be done in us, in the name and for the sake and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. And thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your love.